Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, the World Series is here. They have now played two games in the World Series. But I want to rewind a little bit to before the World Series started. And I want to ask you a question. What was your media diet to prepare yourself for the Fall Classic this year? The usual, you know, listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast, Mm. watching uh, as many ESPN segments as I could get my hands on. I thought Joe West did a pretty good summary. Mm. What did Joe have to say? Did he get you prepared for Pat Hoberg? <laughs> he really did, yeah. <laughs> um, I had I had very little actual like preparation, so to speak. My preparation was mostly like MLB fit accounts, you know? Like oh, how yeah. are the how are the respective teams rolling up? And I gotta say, Philly's kinda kinda wiping the floor with the Astros in the, the fit Astros, department right now. Um don't dress well. No. As a team, no, no. <laughs> they just don't dress well. I mean, I suppose if you're the Houston Astros, you don't really really need to. You know, the Phillies are really dressing like, like they want to make it their only time, right? Exactly. Get to the world. The series. Astros are like, we'll be back next year. I can wear a graphic tee. It's fine. So what you're telling me is that you did not watch all 162 regular season games for both of these teams. Then in the four days that we had off, what did we have those days off for? If you weren't going to watch all 324, that's 162 times two. A little that's quick good. math for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What kind of analyst are you, bro? I know. I know. I'm sorry. I it was partially wanting to kind of surprise myself, you mm-hmm. know? I I didn't want to to have expectations coming in, right? I name every player on the Astros. Go. <laughs> uh Ledmus Diaz. <laughs> That's a good one to say. Get the tough ones out of the way first. <laughs> right, exactly. No, you know, I kind of wanted it to be surprised by the Phillies. I knew what to expect from the Astros, right? They're like the the model of consistency. I really had not tuned in much to the Phillies aside from going to a couple games with you and kind of the the discourse, the narrative mm-hmm. that surrounded the team in the, the early months of the season. Were you aware that Bryce Harper's on the Phillies? No. That was the biggest shock to me of all. <laughs> so he's not on the national team? What the fuck? Well, okay. Here's the reason that I asked because part of my media diet was listening to a podcast from my friends Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman. Now, this is not a plug. They don't know that I'm doing this. It's called The Baseball Barbacast. It's their new pod since leaving The Ringer and doing a podcast that I produced. It's a wonderful pod. They're doing great. I'm very happy for them. Uh, they're doing it with SiriusXM. They had access at uh, World Series Media Day, which is like a, a whole thing where they bring in all of these media members and everybody from their respective teams kind of has their own little outpost where they answer questions about the World Series that's about to start. And so Jake and Jordan got a bunch of really great guests on their World Series Media Day extravaganza episode. And one of those guests, Alex, was Dave Dombrowski. I'd like to play you a little bit of audio from Dave Dombrowski's answer to Jake Mintz's question, what does your offseason look like? Like, when do you get to take a vacation? Let's just, let's just listen in for a sec. Dave, when do you get to go on vacation? Like, when in the general manager's calendar do you get to spend three days on a beach? 
Well, the, really what I've learned throughout the years, if you want to get away, there's no 100% time right. where you're going to be away. But for me, the best time, and I have younger children that have developed now, they're 22 and 24. What we always used to go is between Christmas and New Year's. Did you catch that, Alex? The younger kids he developed? The younger children who have developed. They're now 22 and 24. What Treating the fuck kind of GM brain speak <laughs> is this? My children have developed. <laughs> like they're shortstop prospects. Right. I have my kid locked up through 18. <laughs> <laughs> really promising team-friendly deal on my 28-year-old. Right, exactly. The, the, the 22-year-old took a little bit longer to mature than we kind of thought. <laughs> Um, he, he had to kind of grow into his body a little bit. Let me just play that again for the listeners in case they weren't paying attention. For me, the best time, and I have younger children that have developed now, they're 22 and 24. What we always used to go is between Christmas and New Year's. It's just a disease. I, Running a front office just cannot be good for the I human I get it, brain. man. You know, it's hard to, hard to turn off. This is why he's the best at what he does. You know, he, he looks at everybody in his life and he sees their future, their prospects. Right. Does he compile like scouting reports on his kids? <laughs> 80 grade communicator, 40 on homework. Uh-huh. Yeah, 20 on chores. <laughs> 20 on chores. <laughs> Jeez. How would you rate yourself on the the kid scouting scale? What are what are the categories? Maybe they can be anything. What let's make five tools right now <laughs> and rate ourselves on them. No, I don't know. That chores is one. How good were you at chores? So this is we're talking like growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Not now. You're already, you've already reached. The, the scouting profile is irrelevant. Right. Past performance can indicate future performance for you now. Right. So we're talking we don't need future scouting. value like when I was 12. Right. Exactly. Like um, when you were at perfect game for, for being a child? I'd, I'd probably give myself like a 60, I think. 60 on chores. I was okay. Like I was pretty good. 60 is better than okay. Yeah. Like 60 is like you're going to be like a It's solid. A you're a major league average. Figure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that might be a little a little generous, you know. It probably depended on the day, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I think that my my scouting review might be a little rosier than say my parents' <laughs> scouting review. <laughs> I would say so. Let's break it down like this. I would say on like actually doing chores, I was like a forty five, mm-hmm. but on like you know like how they do power, game power, and raw power. Like right. my ability to do the chores is like a seventy. I'm exactly. like I'm great at doing chores when I actually yeah. remembered to do them, but I would always forget to take the trash out. My dad would wake me up at like six in the morning before the trash truck came around. And be like, "Did you forget something?" And I'd yeah. be like, "Yeah, you're right, I did." Mm-hmm. Just like last week. Yep. <laughs> be so mad at him. Be like, "You couldn't have just told me last night when you realized." But but when you're out there, right? Like you're taking the best route to the curb. Oh, I'm right. I'm grabbing like, two, maybe three cans at a time. Yeah, <laughs> sprouting extra hands. Like when I actually mow that lawn. Oh my god, it's gonna be a nice tight edge mm-hmm. on that corner. Come on, mm-hmm. come on. Weed whacking. Yeah. That's it's just I I take passion in my work. No, yeah, you're spotting your pitch as well. <laughs> exactly right. What about like mood? Twenty to eighty on mood. Let's be honest with ourselves here. Yeah, I mean it certainly changed. You mm-hmm. know, it developed a little bit. Um, I think middle school mood was like it was like a thirty five. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. not great. Mine was like maybe a twenty. <laughs> right. It was it's a bad mood it's all tough, the time. Tough years. Uh, it bumped up to um. 60 in, in high school, 65, and then probably came back down around senior year to maybe 50 because I was like, all right, I'm ready to I'm ready to go. I'm, <laughs> I'm done here. You know, it's like I kept hit, you in double A too hit, long. I'd hit 300 at double A like two years in a row. And I was like, all right, come on. Now you're just manipulating my yeah. service time. 
Are there any other um any other tools that we should scout ourselves on, or do you think that's encompassing? I guess just like schoolwork in general, right? Schoolwork. Um, yeah, I was probably like a sixty on schoolwork. I did most of my homework. I studied for tests when I need when I felt like I needed to. Yeah, I mean, I got into college, but I I feel like it's actually a benefit to not treat school like the end all be all. You know, like to actually learn how to be a normal person, like mm-hmm. before you have to go out into the world. Right. I. So what what I'm saying is that we had nice feel. <laughs> For the school tool. <laughs> exactly. Good makeup. Yeah, I was sitting probably around 50, 55, because like I did everything that I needed to do. Was I always doing right. it maybe to the best of my abilities? No, I don't think so. It was I was a bit of a free swinger. Yeah. Right. Like I I wasn't always connecting, but when I did <laughs> You were not working far. your right, my discipline was not great. Hey, read another way. You're kind of like Nick Castellanos in right field, where he just doesn't pay attention on defense in the regular season because he doesn't have the energy for it. Right, exactly. But then when it comes to a game-saving play in the World Series, you're going to make it. You're just going to make the play. Right. You're riding a B, maybe B-plus all year. Yeah. And then you turn in that A final paper. You know what we used to say in college? We used to say C's get degrees. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I don't think I ever got a C in college, but it's okay. I did. So I I can attest to that uh, saying. I think my lowest grade was my very first class in college. A B minus. Psychology 101. 8 a.m. Monday. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Tenured professor. He didn't give a fuck about us. <laughs> Those are the best ones. Yeah, I know. He was up there making animal noises all the time. It was it was it was an interesting time. Animal noises. Yeah. He I mean, so he's he was like the the Joe Madden kind of. Yeah. Where it was just kind of like, I don't really know if what he's doing works. He was like the, I'm going to get fired Joe Madden, though. <laughs> right. he, was, he wasn't like the was, nine equals one bought in right, Tampa he, Bay Devil Rays Joe Madden. Right, he's Angels Joe Madden. Yeah, exactly. Where he's just kind of coasting off his right. history. And I was not Mike Trout in this analogy. I was like uh, I was like the Reed Detmers. You know, pr- pretty promising, but not definitely not the most naturally gifted. <laughs> it was kind of like, how is he, how's he doing that? Yeah. This is the most strained metaphors we've ever fit into a cold. I know it's pretty good though. I like. I'm it. impressed. Nice, I, nice bits. I want to. I want to add one other tool. Okay. Um, which, which, you know, doesn't apply to everyone, but I think sibling relationship mm. is is a big one as well. Sure. Now you're an older sibling. I'm an older sibling. And I'm a younger sibling. Yeah. So that I think that perspective matters, right? Do you think anyone could do like any kind of like Freudian behavioral analysis on how we do the podcast versus? Based on the fact that I'm a younger sibling and you're an older sibling? Probably, yeah. Right. So there's something to be read there. I just don't know. Because I, I wasn't really paying attention in Psych 101. <laughs> it's just making animal noises. I mean, in typical, in typical older brother fashion, I was like, I was like a 30. Mm. <laughs> so, so say more about that. Like you were a 30, you just, did you not have the drive? Did you not have the skills? What do you think was holding you back? Hmm. You know, I was toolsy. Toolsy. Like, I could, but I was pretty raw. Right, Um, okay. And so I wasn't really always achieving where I I wanted to, right? And so... I mean, Aaron Judge didn't debut until he was like 28, you know? 25, whatever, however old he was. Right, exactly. And everyone's like, look, he's got power. He had 62 home runs this year. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't. How many did he hit in the playoffs, though? Yeah. Come on. You know how many on his couch just like you and me right exactly now. Exactly right. He could be the third co-host of this fucking podcast. <laughs> right. I think I think I had the the tools, um, but maybe not always the discipline to 
follow through on them, right? It was it was yeah. the I was a little Starlin Castro light, you know. I'd kind of mm. lose my lose my head on the field a little bit. Mm, Lasting millage, right? <laughs> well, I mean, what about you? How do how do you feel you performed in that department? See, I had it much easier because I was the younger sibling. Mm-hmm. So my sister, she was like the um, the workhorse of the staff. You right. know, I was like the third starter. I used to just come in and be like, hey, if he has a good outing, good for us. If not, <laughs> we'll get him next time around. <laughs> You're the mop-up guy. Like, Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm the fireman. <laughs> They'll bring you in when they're like, eh, it doesn't really matter what happens no, here. No, no, no. No way I had that I was getting any high leverage innings. <laughs> no way, dog. <laughs> Um, and my sister was a really good older sister too. She was five years older than me. She still is five years older than me. She still is a good sister, but <laughs> good older sister. But you know, for the for the purposes of this conversation, she was five years older than me, and she had like a really good friend group that was like really nice to me too, and like wasn't embarrassed by me being around them. And I think like being a younger brother is better than being an older brother, frankly, because older brothers have this like weird protectiveness over their siblings, and younger brothers get to just be just however they want to be and their older sisters are more often much more accepting of that so um right i mean you had you had a veteran on your team that could like put you right under their wing right exactly and kind of kind of cultivate nurture your development exactly so i'd say i was like a 50 that's good maybe my sister would rate me higher i don't know i don't think she would rate me lower than a 50 (laughs) that's a pretty good you know um don't even remember how we got on this Oh, we were talking about Dombrowski, Dombrowski. right? Yeah. These kids have developed into 22 and 24. Uh, okay, this is the energy that we're going to try to keep for the rest of this podcast. When we talk about the World Series, Game 1 and Game 2, we're going to talk a little bit about a couple things that Rob Manfred said in his uh, sort of World Series press day. We'll answer a couple questions, and hopefully we'll strain a few more metaphors. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, new patrons this week and part of last week. I apologize to folks for not shouting out the patrons last week. It truly was um, a rather hectic week and a hectic recording for us. I think some people could probably tell in the delivery of that podcast, maybe even in the editing of that podcast, maybe even in the pre-planning of that podcast, the fact that it was half Taylor Swift. Uh, The new patrons this week are Izzy, Kate, Meredith, Simon, and Justine. Thank you to all of you very, very much. Should we just get right into it? World let's, Series? Let's do game it. Game one. I'd like to start by reading you a quote that I saw. Once again, shared by our friends at Cespedes Family Barbecue. This quote is from Philly's rookie Garrett Stubbs, who has not played in this in this World Series. Don't know if he's even played at all in this postseason. However, he gave us something very important. Garrett Stubbs said, we drink so much coffee, bro. Nobody is more beaned up than the Phils. That is sick. I just talk about a team that's trying to get me to like them. They're trying really hard. Again, they're pandering off the so charts. So hard. <laughs> off the charts. And here's the thing. It's working. Not it's working me. on me. It's not working on me. No? You know, I wondered if when the series started, I would soften a little bit as I watched the Phillies go head-to-head against what honestly I think is the new evil empire in the Houston Astros. They are the new evil empire. It's no longer the Yankees. Because it's not like, like if in Empire Strikes Back, there was just like a second squad of dudes building a bigger Death Star. It's not like we can call <laughs> the original Death Star the Evil Empire anymore. So I think the Astros are officially the Evil Empire now. 
in Major League Baseball. So I wondered if I would soften over the course of this series. And nope, I still just love it when the Phillies lose. It just feels really good to watch. Mm-hmm. Still rooting for the Astros. <laughs> and everybody seems really mad at me. And you know what? I don't care. This, that sign can't stop me because I can't read. <laughs> However, see, right there, every you're... single person on the Phillies is so likable. They're all incredibly likable. Just right. a remarkable collection. And I said on the pod last week, I was like, is this one of the most likable teams of the 21st century? Yeah. The guy said, is this the most likable team of the 21st century? Right. And I wasn't bullshitting. I, I really mean it. Like most of these guys are extremely likable. And there's, they just, they have the vibes. Mm-hmm. For certain, they have the vibes. And this Garrett Stubbs quote, I thought was a good example of that for our purposes. Yeah, you dislike them institutionally, not like on a personal level. Yeah, I just, I dislike them relationally. Right. If that's a word. It is now. Not- I dislike them in relationship to me mm-hmm. and my childhood trauma. <laughs> Um, but the only thing that could have made this quote better was if Garrett Stubbs was like, yeah, and this is the type of bean that I use and right. I have my espresso machine and this is how we make it. And, you know, I love to pull ristretto shots and right. yeah. <laughs> doing all this different shit. Yeah, I really like, um, I like my roasts medium to dark. I make sure mm. to grind it really fine when I'm making the espresso. Obviously right. a little coarser for like a cold brew um, or a French press. As coarse as possible for the cold as brew. As coarse as possible. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Make sure you're grinding it as coarse as possible for the cold brew. This, like, it just kind of feels like this This team almost feels like they have less to lose. Like, they're, oh, just, yeah. they're just a group of dudes going out there. They're gonna, they're gonna do their best. And after the game, they're gonna, they're gonna down some buds and light Bud each other's, too. Light each other's cigarettes, guys. like, with their other cigarettes. <laughs> Amazing story Amazing about that. Amazing story. I mean, Yes, they feel, you know, you know what it is. They feel like the highest proportion. Like this is the this is the baseball team that has made it to the World Series that has the highest proportion of just normal guys on it. Mm-hmm. Like these are just guys. They're not like they don't have like an off putting superstar athlete persona around almost any of them. And I mean, Bryce used to have that. Like when he was coming up and he was a superstar prospect. Cover of Sports Illustrated when he was sixteen with the eye black down his face. And he was supposed to utter in this like revolution amongst baseball stars. He was going to be the first online baseball star. And you know what? He not that he is online, but he like the first baseball star of the the new internet era. And he was. He was everywhere. His face was everywhere. People hated him for it. Some people loved him for it. I always really liked Bryce. And I think he kind of got all that out of his system in Washington. And when he went to Philly, even though I don't think he's a normal guy, like I don't think he just does normal stuff like you and I, he seems much more down to earth than the Bryce 1.0. And I don't know if that's maybe just me projecting that onto him because of all the pandering he's done to like the greater Philadelphia area, which I have a lot of personal connections to. But this just... Seems I see I feel like I could have a conversation with every single guy on this team, pretty much. And I don't think I could have a conversation with like Alex Bregman. <laughs> you know? Like I don't know what Kyle Tucker and I would talk about. I don't know. <laughs> like what like Jordan, I would be like, How are yeah. you? Mm-hmm. How do you? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing that? You know what I mean? Like, but I'd, every like, try other... and put my hand through him, you <laughs> know? Like, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Dude has no ACLs, and yet he has so much power. Like, how is that possible? And I, I don't know. There, there's something about this team. And, you know, something else to that same point, 
was Kyle Schwarber riding the bull at Xfinity Live after they won the championship series, which we didn't even talk about because we didn't see until the day that we put the pot out. Um, just a normal, just a normal thing for a normal guy to do. You know how many guys I saw fall off that bull, and then I saw Kyle Schwarber do it. Like it's, that's Kyle Schwarber. He yeah. had a ball 488 feet, and then he rode the bull at Xfinity Live. They just feel very unburdened. Yeah, you know. And I mean, hey, if I was Bryce. And They're I was un- free and I there. was under the thumb of the learners for my career. I probably would be too. Playing in front of a bunch of senators, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're just such an interesting collection of players. I don't. I, I'll never forget this team for the rest of my nope. life. <laughs> they also never play normal baseball games, which leads us to Game One of the World Series, which was not a normal baseball game. The Astros jumped out to a five nothing lead on. Two Kyle Tucker home runs and a Martin Maldonado RBI single with an illegal bat, <laughs> which we're not even going to talk about <laughs> because it's just not relevant, really. Um, and Justin Verlander was on the mound, 175 ERA. Of course, plenty of struggles throughout his career in the World Series. Started a World Series game in three different decades now, has not gotten a win in a World Series game in any of those eight starts. Um, my first question for you, Alex, is Justin Verlander just an Oakland A's merchant? Can he only does his shit only work against the A's in the playoffs? <laughs> it is quite possible. Like, can we start the narrative? Like Clayton Kershaw, I feel like has kind of put his narrative to rest, and someone else has to take up the, the mantle. Of- Should it have been his narrative the whole time? Because you know what, he made his first World Series start before Clayton before Kershaw, Kershaw debuted. Yeah. So it it really does sort of confuse the that whole idea of there being a playoff narrative, right? Where we just kind of yeah. kind of cherry pick who we're interested in focusing on when really it's like some guys just happen to have bad starts. And I mean, you know, granted the Kershaw thing went on long enough that a part of me was kind of like Yeah, it was weird. Maybe maybe he actually does suck <laughs> in the playoffs, you know? Not even just a part of you. I remember, I don't know if it was, I think it was in 2017 after he had a couple bad starts against the Astros, which we now know that they were they were cheating. But at the same time, I think he had a bad start at home, a couple bad starts at home in the playoffs that, that year too. So it didn't just make you question it. It made um, my my colleague and, and effectively wild host Ben Lindbergh question whether or not he thought that Clayton Kershaw was bad in the playoffs. And he is not the type... <laughs> He is much more empirical and much more data-driven. He's not the type to buy into a narrative. And he was like, yeah, it's no longer a narrative. Like, yeah. he, this is a big enough sample size that he's demonstrably worse in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And maybe he is just a little worse in the playoffs, but also, like, playoffs are hard, man. Yeah. And I think Justin Verlander's performance in Game 1, but, you know, in the World Series throughout his career, maybe he's gotten more of a pass because, like, I don't know that he's been the reason that his team has ever lost the World Series. Like, there have been a couple times when a Kershaw start could have really swung a series for the Dodgers. But, like, didn't the Tigers get swept in his first appearance in the World Series in 2006? So, it's not like if he won that game, they would have magically made that a seven-game series. Yeah, I mean, it was it was 4-1. They lost 4-1. They got, they got swept in the World Series against the Giants a few years later. Um, Ouch. So when the Giants just won a bunch of World Yeah, games. I know that was so that was stupid. Their but team's I pretty kinda, good. I, it's, it didn't happen in my book. <laughs> um, but like you're right that the game, the series was not necessarily hinging on his singular start, right? 
And I mean, I just think that so much attention is put on a team like the Dodgers, right? Given that they are. Wow, are you going to fly anime. over states me? Yeah. Oh, I absolutely am. I'm going to major go. market you, bro. <laughs> I mean, also, a lot of the Kershaw stuff kind of bubbles up in the online internet age, right? Obviously, that that first series with the Tigers, 2006, we're like kind of in the nascent days of social media. 2011 or 2012 we're online, but maybe we're not super brain poisoned yet. Right. I know he does sort of exist. Him and Scherzer both exist slightly pre. You have to have an opinion about everything at all times. Mm-hmm. Culture. Yeah. In media. I mean, obviously that existed on sports radio maybe, but it didn't used to only matter what you did in October. Like you used to be able to be a good pitcher without having to be the best pitcher of your generation. Capital letter on all of those words, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a more uh, coalesced take about Justin Verlander being bad in in the World Series. You know, it was actually something that Jeff Passan said on Jake and Jordan's uh, preview pod that stuck with me. I think it was. I think it was Jeff Passan who said this. My apologies if it wasn't. But even though the Astros are better than the Phillies, I think we can confidently say that they won nineteen more games than them in the regular season this year. They have been there repeatedly. They have made it to the CS however many years in a row. And this is their fourth appearance in the World Series since this era of Houston baseball started. What the Phillies do have is a deep lineup that can hit great pitching. And they proved that in game one. It's not like Verlander just melted down and started walking people or hitting people or he was missing his spots or whatever. He was great through a few innings. And then once the lineup saw him one time, they started squaring him up. And honestly, I know we talk a lot about how in this era of baseball, pitching owns hitting. And in order to be able to win a World Series, you have to be able to pitch. You have to have a bullpen. You have to have all these things. But like, I can't square that with this year's Phillies team and last year's like last year's Red Sox team or last year's Braves team, where it's just like, if you have quality hitters who are tough to get out, in like six of your nine spots and who it doesn't matter who's pitching to them. Like they can't be overwhelmed by even the best pitchers in the game. You have a shot against anyone in any five, three, five or seven game series, which the Phillies have proven and they do have that. And I think that is what played out in game one. Yeah. They're a remarkably fun team. I mean, just the dynamic of this world series is really, is really fun because there's, you know, there's the element of chaos that the Phillies bring to the Astros well-oiled machine. And so you really don't know what's going to happen, right? And, you know, we'll get to game two in a moment, but both those games started out in very similar fashion, right? And ended up in radically different places. And one was far more interesting to me than the other one, not even necessarily because the Phillies won game one, but because game one felt like it kind of defied the rules of like, postseason baseball right it was unscripted in a way that game two felt kind of scripted right exactly you know what game one felt like it felt like the phillies got all beaned up it took a couple innings for that caffeine to hit Uh and then once it did the game just went totally haywire (laughs) it's fun to see jt real muto get his due on the national stage is it that fun hottest philly whatever Yeah. yeah 
Hottest Philly. Interesting take. I don't think I agree. Who would you who would you say? Probably Bryce or Castellanos. Nah, Bryce is not attractive. If that's, I'm being honest. Wow, that's a take. All right. <laughs> Bro, JT rolled up to like game. You're just not to attracted game. to like traditionally attractive looking men. I feel like JT Real Muto is very traditionally yeah, like, I guess like right. chiseled like clean jaw, shape, like yeah. clean cut. Yeah, but, I guess you're right. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about Bryce that just kind of <laughs> kind of rubs me the <laughs> the wrong way. Even putting aside his like personal beliefs and whatnot. Um I don't know. You should J- put aside JT's personal beliefs too. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> hey man, JT rolled up in a in an all like powder blue suit with like a white tee to yesterday's game. Like yeah. he was he was stunting out there. Was it like a turtleneck underneath or was it just a t shirt? I think it was just a t shirt. Yeah. He had kind he of could, soprano energy to the he, shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the game was wild. The game yeah, was just yeah. really wild. One mm-hmm. of the best, one of the best playoff games I can remember in a really long time. Yeah, sort of hit all of those like platonic ideal box. Checked all of those platonic ideal boxes that I talked about a couple weeks on the pod, a couple weeks ago on the pod. Um, and I just I can't believe the Phillies won that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, right. They had no business doing that. They and there were so many different moments where the rally could have been killed. Right. I mean, it pains me to watch Real Muto on this team especially with all of this new reporting that is sort of surfacing about how the the offseason that he was a free agent after the Phillies had traded for him as a rental and they were trying to extend him. Um, the Mets were the first team to approach him and then they just went radio silent for two months after that. And then they signed James McCann. Which is like, hey man. No, no. <laughs> Don't even jokingly people, justify people, this. People I, were I like, was like so mad. <laughs> people re- resurfacing like SNY's tweet where they compared the two, you know? As they, they like, should. Saying, Bro, like anybody who actually spent five minutes watching these two players could tell you which one is better. Yes. Like it's not. Realmuto is an alien. Yeah. I mean, like the throw that almost got Altuve out at the end of game one and then going opposite field to put them ahead. And also having an inside the park home run in this playoffs, leading the team in steals, being the first catcher to go 2020 since I don't even know who. Like he is almost like mythical for like the modern catcher position. Right. He just does all of the stuff that no one ever even tries to do anymore. And he still does it at an elite level. Right. I mean, he has played roughly 200 more innings of baseball than any other catcher this year. He has played almost a month more of baseball than any other catcher in the sport and is still the best catcher right. by a country mile. And maybe was concussed in game one. Right. Like, not even a lot of people talking about that where he just wore a foul tip off the mask and fell back a little bit, braced himself with his own hand. Thankfully, we got a, a very clear audio of the umpire <laughs> telling him, stay right there. Like, just take a minute, take a minute. <laughs> take a minute. <laughs> Gosh. Um, anything else on game one before we talk about game two? You know, we, I mean, you mentioned the umpire. Uh, being able to hear the umpire. And I, we have had our criticisms about the audio production mm-hmm. of playoff games, or really just of national baseball games, right? Because this was true during the regular season. Um, it's like, can they make a phone call to a regional cable network and just ask them how they do it? Just yeah. one phone call. Right. Like every single regional broadcast sounds way better than every single national broadcast. I got to say, it was all made up for. When Aledmus Diaz leaned in, into a pitch and, yeah, and pulled the old Michael Conforto on exactly, him. and the umpire said, "No way, time out, time out, stay here, stay." You fucking leaned right into it. <laughs> Which, um, Joe Davis and John Smoltz talked over on the English speaking broadcast, but the Spanish speaking announcers did not talk over it. Mm-hmm. So we got the clear audio 
on that broadcast, and that was where it was recirculated from. Amazing. Thank you, MLB Network. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason that they should have gotten a Spanish-speaking broadcast this whole time. That's the only reason I can think of why they should have a Spanish-speaking broadcast for yeah. a game that is played by more Spanish-speaking people in the world than right. and is, English-speaking and is, and is called the World Series. <laughs> um, Aled Mestiaz, what are you doing, baby? Come on. <laughs> What are you doing? Hey, man, I guess at that, at that point, you just try and get... I mean, no, the no, thing no. Is, that was Ru- one of the most <laughs> ridiculously dumb at-bats I have ever watched. He gets ahead 3-0, almost getting hit by one of the curveballs. Well, well, he's at, well he's, he, he's ahead 2-0. He's Sorry, ahead 2-0. he's ahead yeah. 2-0. He almost gets hit by a curveball in the second pitch. Then he leans in and gets hit by the curveball, but it was a ball, which amazing call by the umpire, by the way, yep. for him to still call it a ball, but make him come back. Great. Correct he, on all fronts. He knew the umpires right have away. been 10 out of 10 in this series so far, which guarantees that they will fuck something up massively in the next couple of games mm-hmm. because I said that. But he's ahead 3-0, and then he swings at a sinker that is below the zone right. after trying to lean in and get his base yeah. so that he could move the lineup along because he clearly did not want to go up there to actually hit, as evidenced by the fact that he leaned into the curveball. Right. This is David Robertson on the mound Right. Who had already thrown like 24 pitches, so he was starting to tire a little yes. bit. Yes, and clearly is not hitting his spots. No. And and yet, swings at ball four, <laughs> and then makes the final out of the game. Just baffling. And you know what? I can't even blame him, because I would probably do some dumb stuff like that up there, mm-hmm. too, if I was pinch hitting down one in the 10th inning of World Series Game 1. Yeah. Very stressful situation. Super stressful. The The last thing I'll say on, on game one, even though I said the last thing that I said would be the last thing that I would say. Right. Um, and then I'll have a last thing to say. Yeah, and then exactly. you can have another last thing to say after that. It, it's kind of fun watching like managers get weird with their bullpen and it kind of work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like bringing in Ranger Suarez and him just... Fuck it, we ball, bro. Making Jordan <laughs> Alvarez look goofy up there. Kind Ranger Suarez just can't find a single thing to dislike about nope. the guy. Nope. First of all, his name is Ranger. <laughs> it's just also Ranger Suarez, Spanish speaking. No, is there a chance that we're just he's just okay with us calling him Ranger, but that's not actually his name is how his name is pronounced? Because that G in Spanish would be Ron Hare. So is there just a chance <laughs> that he's just like Ranger sounds cooler in English? Let's just let's just let it rock. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do know that like teams do distribute like guides on how to pronounce each player's name, right? So I have to assume at this right. point in the season... That was a whole thing with Mark Canna this year. Right, exactly. Like <laughs> his wife tweeting, for the love of God, it's Canna. It's not Kenya. I know that the like traditional Wait, Portuguese... were people saying Kenya? There was a whole thing on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball about how Mark Canna, Canna, C-A-N-H-A, that's how his last name is spelled. Right. It's because he's um, Portuguese, I believe, on his father's side. And that's how they got the name Canna. It has been sort of Americanized as his has his family has been in the United States for decades. Um, so they choose to pronounce it Canna, but if they were gonna pronounce it the traditional way that you would say that letter combination, that consonant combination in Portuguese, it would be Kenya. And they talked about that on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. I believe it was ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. And for like a few innings, they were just calling him Kenya because of that. And he just like to try it out because I think he had given a quote like a couple days earlier about this exact thing. Mm. He was, and he had said something like, you know, if we were to pronounce it the traditional way, this is how it would be said. And so then I think the ESPN people were like, oh, well, then we should pronounce they, it, like, it was, the traditional they, they way. They were like, they were like, I mean, we got to be a little woke at least. So like, <laughs> I don't want to accuse them of trying to be woke, but 
like they just thought they were pronouncing it the right way. So then his wife had to like issue clarification because he was playing in the game and didn't know that his name was being pronounced wrong. <laughs> just incredibly stupid. Oh my God. Man, should save that one for the dumbest things that happened in 2022. Yeah. In baseball with batting around that is coming in a few weeks. Uh, anyway, your final thing that you were going to say about game one. I don't even remember what it was. Oh, no, I said it. I said it, oh, it, Ranger it's Suarez. fun. Ranger Suarez, Rob Thompson, bullpen goat. Rob Thompson is so good. He's such a good <laughs> he manager. is. He's I, such a good manager. I'm going to talk about it in, 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 after we talk about the sort of game two controversies. But Rob Rob Thompson has just been the big winner of 2022 in the playoffs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, still don't really know what the Phillies' plan is for game three. They used their game three starter already. Well, you know who it is, right? It's Syndergaard, yeah. right? But are, but are they actually Suarez not going to give like, him six innings? No. Like, so then Suarez is going to pitch like four innings after that? I have no idea. <laughs> They're really just in making it up as we go. Yep. <laughs> it's like when you're doing the AP test and you don't know any of the answers, but you're still trying to get credit for a couple of the like for for the work on some of it. Right. So you just like start from the middle. <laughs> you're just like I think this would ha- be how I would advance the answer to this problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right, game two, Alex. So, I didn't know anything about all the controversy until today. We're recording this on Sunday, day off, between games two and three. I didn't know anything about the sticky stuff controversy with Framber Valdez. I didn't know anything about him being asked about it after the game, Rob Thompson being asked about it after the game, people circulating videos of him going to his non-pitching hand or him wiping his hand on his pants as he's walking off the field. All of these things that they are alleging that Framber has some sort of substance that he is very obviously using in the middle of the game and like rubbing on the ball and rubbing on his hands. I don't really know. So did you know about this stuff as we were, as we were sort of following the game, we were participating in New York city Halloween festivities. And so I was watching the game on mute on my phone. Right. And I was like kind of following it via Twitter and MLB a bat and, and the like, um, but was not tuned into every pitch. So no, I, I mean, I didn't even see anyone talking about this at the time, really. And I'm sure people were, but again, but I really d- didn't have an awareness of it until like you were tweeting about it this morning. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most of those videos that I was like seeing as I was catching up on some of this stuff, it reminded me of like the Mets Padres game three, where it was like, Oh, this is suspicious. Oh, they should go check on this. And so the, the, controversy was like sort of bubbling up on Twitter as the game was going because we have such immediate access to replays and screenshots and poorly taken videos from iPhones being tweeted out by sports books <laughs> but I guess so I don't mean to I don't mean to downplay the game at all because it was still a good baseball game probably yeah. not as good as game one it was fine there are big moments and big performances from the guys you hope to see those from. Sure. I mean, it was like kind of how I think we expected game one to go, which was like not really close. Like it didn't really feel like the Phillies had much of a fighting chance in this one. No, they didn't. But but you had to give them that respect that they might have turned game two around the same way that they turned game one around. And so I think that that made Fromber in particular's performance very impressive because we just saw a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers of his generation, get jumped all over by this Phillies lineup. And then Fromber goes out there the very next night and he's like, man, I don't really care. I'm just going to dominate them. I think Fromber is definitely Houston's ace. 
I think he's definitely, for me, the most trustworthy pitcher to not have a blow-up start in baseball right now because he basically hasn't had a blow-up start all year. He's on this insane quality start streak, which I know quality starts are not the most important stat in individual games, but anytime you can rip off an entire season of quality starts, you're probably giving your team a chance to win. Right. It means you're, you're not having any significant blow-ups at all. Exactly. And as we saw, even the best of them have blow-ups. Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, <laughs> Jacob deGrom, <laughs> these things, they happen. Um, but then I almost like, I almost wonder in an existential way how we're ever going to get past any of this stuff. We just ha- we're working with too much information, but at the same time, not employing that information with any sort of critical thinking skills. You see one guy go to his hand in a way that you think looks unnatural and you accuse him of cheating because you cut together a video that, you know, admittedly makes it look a little bit suspect the way that he's touching his hand, touching his non-pitching hand with his pitching hand. But we're just working with such an incomplete picture. Like maybe that's him, maybe most likely that's him grabbing sweat off of his other hand because it's been in his glove and that hand is getting sweatier. So he's combining the rosin from his pitching hand from the bag that you're legally allowed to use on the mound with the sweat from his other hand or with the sweat from his hair or whatever it might be. But we just, there's no way to prove that he was cheating or wasn't cheating. Just like there was no way to definitively prove whether Joe Musgrove was cheating when Buck went and asked Deumps to do an extra check with him. I think they pretty definitively proved that he wasn't cheating. And the way that like official media or like official partners of baseball are just like throwing these accusations around in real time. I don't know like how we enjoy these things unencumbered ever again, as long as we have Twitter and baseball savant because people can just go and grab a screenshot from baseball savant and say, Oh, Fromber has, Look at these insane spin rates on on Fromber's curveball. And they just that's been like that his whole career. And he has his fastball spin is like 60th percentile. So if he was using spider tack, you would think his fastball spin would be up too, because you can't control when the spider tack is on your hand between pitches that that specifically. Because that stuff is so sticky, you have to like wash it off your hands with like alcohol rubbing alcohol. I just really am wondering in an existential way if we're ever going to have a version of Major League Baseball without cheating accusations. And I want to be I, like I want to be fair to the people who have skepticism about these players too because a bunch of people did cheat <laughs> including the Astros. And I think one of the things that we were most frustrated about with the Astros specifically was that they cast a shadow of doubt over over baseball. Like that was one of the things I remember you and I talking about is that they did this so flagrantly and so blatantly that I don't know how you ever trust teams not to do stuff like this again how you can never prove you can never definitively prove that they're not cheating anymore and now we all have this huge doubt in our mind and they're a huge part of that huge doubt but I just think that it's just gone so it's just gone way beyond like we're just anytime any player is performing well we're just like there has to be some other reason why they're performing well yeah well and baseball players have cheated for the entirety of the game, right? And they're cheating right now. They, like, I mean, it might depend on what your definition of 
cheating is, but spin rates obviously significantly dropped off, uh, you know, in the wake of the sticky stuff crackdown. And then they've slowly kind of ticked back up in the time since, which is fine. I don't, I don't care. Like if, if pitchers are doing what they can to get a better grip on the ball or even trying to gain an edge over the hitter. And it's largely, you know, sort of an unspoken acceptance. That's, that's fine. Like if, if, if the players are not seething about it, then I'm probably not really going to care that much either. But I, I also really don't think that people want to know. You know, it's kind of like, a don't, don't ask the questions you don't really want to know the answers to. Because you're going to uncover a lot more than you were really bargaining for. And it feels kind of part and parcel to this broader desire to codify and draw very distinct lines around certain types of the game of baseball, right? We want, yeah. we want an automated strike zone. We want the kind of uh, you know, replay review. So if the, if the player's foot comes off the bag briefly, we can call them out, right? It, it's like we're trying to create a, va- a version of baseball that's like it's pure. We just want the players to play baseball and the calls to be correct and no one to have that edge. Yeah, but baseball in a vacuum. Right, exactly. But first of all, that's, that's not how... That's not how things work. Super Whether duper, within baseball, not how baseball or, was designed to work. Or designed either. to work. Right, exactly. And if that was really the version of baseball we were interested in, the sport would look different. Yeah. Like it just would. So I, you know, I don't know how to answer your question of like, will we ever kind of be out of this era? I mean, no. I think it comes in waves, right? I think for a few years it's at the forefront of people's minds and then it starts to slip away because players get better at evading detection or they stop doing it or they find another means of gaining an edge and fans ignore it for a few years, right? Yeah. Here's the thing that really rubs me the wrong way though. And I I understand how fans slip into this because for a hot minute there, I was like, man, it really would suck if Joe Musgrove actually was using something that was making him impossible to hit for this one game, this one elimination game where the entire Mets season that I've just spent thousands of hours watching will be decided on. It would really suck if he had been cheating in that moment. But to take all of that anguish and frustration and anger over the fact that there is cheating in baseball to like melt that all and and cook it down into like one thing and then hone that in on one player in individual games just makes no sense. Like, it just makes no sense. Right. Fromber would not be the only player this year who had used something to get a better grip on the ball. And I don't even think he was cheating. Like, I don't even right, think he right. was using anything either. Like, it would, it would make no sense for him to do it so flagrantly to take his glove off, off his non-pitching hand and rub the ball up with it like that. Like, that would be the dumbest... Like, the Astros would cheat better than that, honestly, at this point. You know, five years removed from their original cheating scandal, they would have learned how to cheat better than that, if we're being frank. And the Astros were one of the teams that was using spider tech. That was they're they're the ones that taught Garrett Cole how to use it. Like, how do you think he got so much better from Pittsburgh to Houston? It wasn't just that they told him to throw more fastballs up in the zone, it was that they gave him spider tech. And a lot of teams were doing it. So it's not just that we like can't enjoy baseball without this conversation around cheating, but it's that we're honing in on the wrong people. Like 
the umpires are checking these guys when they come off the field. So if you still think they're cheating, then why aren't you mad at the umpires and Rob and the league for instituting a better process into how they can how they can really stamp this out. Because the reason that it became a problem in the first place is there's always been the rule. It's always been the rule that you're not allowed to do this since the beginning of time. And so the reason that it became a problem in the first place is because of lack of enforcement. So why are we suddenly now mad at the players again when two years ago when this was a problem, we were mad at the league for not enforcing it right? And two years prior to that, we didn't care. It's or just really like, have an awareness of it. Like I don't go out onto the street corner and wave my fist at everyone I see speeding. Uh, speak for yourself <laughs> but seriously that's what it feels like like it just feels like you're very much just mad at individuals for like exploiting a system that is meant to be exploited if these umpires are doing these half-assed hand checks as you're walking off the field then what does that tell you that it's not actually a rule that people care about and i don't even think the checks are that half-assed really like right. i think you really would have to kind of you really would be playing with fire to be using something like spider tech still. Yeah. And to think that you're not going to get caught with that in a world series game, like that would be a gigantic risk. And again, none of these players have been, have been busted by the, the enhanced rules that we all agreed are the way to stamp this out. Yeah. Not, not two years ago. So I, I just don't, I just don't understand it. No, I mean, it just feels like a dangerous game too. you know, like it's a really slippery slope to all yeah. of a sudden start accusing individual players of doing things outside the rules. Yeah, because no, you're cheating. Right. No, you're cheating. No, you're cheating. Like we're all cheating then. <laughs> like then, yeah. then cheating doesn't even matter. Right. Like, are we certain that no Phillies pitcher was doing something similar? But we just didn't notice it because the camera was on someone in the stands instead well i do know that um that zach wheeler wasn't cheating (laughs) i feel certain of that one uh but no i mean especially when we were having you know broader conversations about the character of players and how we should memorialize them in the history of the sport to then kind of flippantly throw cheating accusations toward players with no like foundation of evidence other than the hard rock, hard rock sports book tweeting out a video, <laughs> I, just, I can't get over that. It's yeah, it's not good. Like if you want to be like Phillies fans six five three tweeting out that video, that's one thing. But it's not just fans tweeting out these videos. It's like media machines, sports books, betting partners of the league tweeting out this stuff. Like these are not irrelevant accusations. These are relevant accusations coming from people like. With like a vested financial interest. John Boy didn't just make a media empire off discovering that the Astros were paying trash cans. They kept it going by accusing Jose Altuve of wearing a buzzer during 2019, which was honestly deranged and not provable at all. And they just kept doing videos about it and they, they never apologized for it. They never retracted it. They just left that stuff out there. And like the more stuff that you just allow to just like ruminate on social media... To me, like, I do think this is a huge Manfred League problem. Like, they, these playoffs have confirmed that for me, that, that what they've done to, like, enhance sticky stuff checks has not satiated the public and the fans' desire to know that people are not using sticky stuff. Right. It's just created more skepticism. Yes. 
And like, honestly, fans think that like the league is in on it. <laughs> like, what is happening? I'm like, just watch the baseball game, guys. It's a it's a fun game. Yeah. Just be the guy looking out the cliffside on the bus. <laughs> right, you know? Exactly. <laughs> just fucking watch the game. Like, I just here we are. We just talked about it for 30 oh, right. minutes. Yeah, I know. But yeah. you know, so maybe we're the hypocrites. Um, listen, I know that Fromber wasn't cheating. You know how I know? Because the umpire crew was perfect last night. Mm-hmm. Pat Hoberg, perfect game behind the dish. The first of the season. Shout out to Pat. The, not just the first of the season, the first since umpire scorecards started tracking this stuff back in 2015. Can we just, so this is, it's time for umpire scorecards to go. <laughs> we did it. Wait, this <laughs> is the coup de gras. There's no way up. <laughs> Congrats to your fine work, umpire scorecards. You've done it. <laughs> We're inducting you into the niche social media hall of fame. I mean, I you know, and and not to drag us back into this conversation, but it does feel like, you know, we're in the age of kind of the amateur sleuth, right? Where it's like super amateur. Super amateur, <laughs> right? But, amateur. Elementary, you could say. Yeah. Or I mean, or even like Umpire Scorecards, I think, does a really good job and like has done oh, a yeah, really yeah, good yes. job of like bringing about the sort of awareness of like, hey, there actually are good umpires and there are measurably bad umpires and we can think about yes. that but everyone is trying to sort of tap into that where it's like i have a i've got something that no one else has seen yes on this game that's being broadcast to millions of people around the country yeah, they're trying to dunk on people they're trying to win an argument that, that no one else even knows that they're having yeah like people are trying to use umpire scorecards on individual games throughout the season saying that that's the reason that their team lost I'm yeah. like that is extremely not how right. you're just anything using this works. incorrectly yeah exactly um Really quickly, I wanted to uh, play for you a clip from the broadcast yesterday about Pat Hoberg. Behind the plate tonight is Pat Hoberg, 36 years old. He makes his World Series debut. He's got all his friends and family here from Iowa. So living his own dream as he gets to call balls and strikes here in game. World Series debut brought all his friends and family in from Iowa. And you know what? He saw those lights. And he stepped the fuck up. Mm-hmm. He stepped up. He left it all on the field. He's not Justin Verlander. He doesn't shrink in the World Series. He gets better. He's Derek Jeter, bro. He's the Derek Jeter of umpires. Yeah. No, we've had some good debuts. Uh, you know who else has been good? Joe Davis. Yeah, talking, he's great. talking World Series debuts. Great at his job. I, you know, I gotta say, um, earlier on in these playoffs, it pains me to say it. I started to soften on Smoltz a little bit. I was kind of How like, dare you? I no, I know. Well, and I, oh, was, I have some, uh, I have some choice quotes from John Smoltz. I know, too, I know. Way. Oh, I've written some down as well. Um, you know, there was a part of me that was kind of like, maybe, he, maybe he's not as bad as I thought he was. You mm-hmm. know, maybe years of being in the booth has kind of softened his edges a little bit. And yeah, he's not a good broadcaster, but yeah. but maybe he's not the. Maybe he's not taking away from broadcasts like I might have thought a couple years ago. This is my mea culpa. <laughs> he's really bad. Yeah, he's I, so these bad. past two games have confirmed that for me. He's a, he doesn't even have the energy to like do his old man yells at cloud rants anymore. Right? Like, he's not even doing. He's, he, no, he's, he's mailing, not even giving he's people what they in. want. I know. <laughs> he's just he's mailing it in. He's like a he's like a conservative comedian who's not even doing the cancel culture <laughs> jokes anymore. <laughs> Here's a quote from John Smoltz, Game One of the World Series. Alex, what does it take to win a World Series? Here's what it takes: quote, each team has strengths. Who flexes it early is going to win the championship. So to win the championship, you need to flex your strengths early. 
as a team. Well, I mean, did you you've watched a lot of World Series? Did you know that you had to flex your strengths earlier, early to win the the game? Well, it didn't series? it didn't occur to me that each team even did have strengths. Like I kind of figured oh. one team only might, one of the team but, has the strengths, right? Right, or maybe they maybe neither of them have strengths, or maybe that's how they it's the race to the bottom, you know? Right, or maybe the team that flexes them late surprises everyone, mm-hmm. right? You just wait till game seven <laughs> to flex your strengths and you win it all. Yeah, so that was I appreciated him kind of clarifying the importance of going out there and trying to play baseball early on. Um, here's, here's John Smoltz's quote about uh, one Luis Garcia, who, if you remember, uh, did give up the home run to JT Realmudo to lose the Astros game, one of the World Series. Mind you, this is Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz breaking down a pitcher. The thing that makes his fastball special is that it doesn't look like it's 98. He just spins it. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. He just spin, he spins it. So does that make it look faster? Right. Does that what is it? does that make it look slower? <laughs> what does it mean to spin it at ninety eight? Also, like, I, in theory, it doesn't look ninety eight. Do you know? Have you stood in the box when there's more backspin on a fastball? It looks it, it, it looks faster. It tends to look faster because it stays up and there's oh, it's got a little bit of rise to it. Yes, right. It doesn't look 98. He just spins it. He just spins it. He, I mean, he certainly was spinning it up there. <laughs> also, like, I, so that wasn't a compliment, right? I know it. I think it was <laughs> because <laughs> that's what I, that's why I was so confused. Cause he's like, it doesn't look 98. And I'm like, so does it look 104? So that's, or does it look 87? Yeah. Like, what is, are you saying it's better or worse? See, he just kind of, Let's it go either way. Yeah. You know? Right. And then Garcia it, gives up the home run. He's like, just like I told you, it didn't look 98. Well, I kind of, it's <laughs> kind of, 89. It's kind of like poetry a little bit, right? It's up to the reader's interpretation. Right. Mm. You get out of it what you want. So he's like Ruby Carr. <laughs> <laughs> I would enjoy her calling a baseball game more than John Smoltz. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever actually heard her talk before. Yeah, I haven't either. Is she, is she an industry plant? What do you think? I feel We're like on minute sixty four of the pod. Talking about Ruby, <laughs> John Dennegan takes out about poetry. I think industry plants tend to be better at their job. <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah, like Taylor Swift. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like Billie Eilish, <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, wow, whole lot of Harry industry Styles. plants. Yeah, but then okay, okay, Jack Harlow though, he's bad at his job and an industry plant. Come on, yeah, every once in a while you get the exception that proves the rule. I don't. Can you name three more poets, like contemporary? Living, yeah, living poets. Um, I have a I have a friend from college who does poetry. That counts. Before we uh before we move on, and wrap it up and talk about Rob's press conference, we're gonna take a break before that. But really quickly, I wanted to share with you my idea for off days during the World Series. I think it's a bummer that there are off days during the World Series and that there's no baseball. I think it was a big bummer that there were four days off between the championship series and the World Series. I almost forgot that we were having a World Series. It was so long. And I just think that October should be baseball 100% of the time. We should have no days with no baseball in October. This is our month. This is our time to shine. This is our time to neglect our responsibilities to our friends and family on account of baseball. How do you envision that happening? Here's how I envision it happening. Thank you for asking. Yeah. I'm glad you asked. Obviously, the World Series teams need need days off. They need travel days mm-hmm. to be able to play their best baseball. So on the days that there are no World Series games, we have 
the anti-World Series, where the two worst teams in baseball mm. play a seven-game series for the first overall pick. So, like, if you finish second worst, you can still get the first pick by beating the worst team in a seven-game series. So while we're having the real baseball playoffs, we sort of have a bizarro world baseball playoffs where, Uh like, the Pirates play the Nats. (laughs) But there's stakes still. Do you think that those stakes are big enough? Because I feel like teams, like, teams, um, teams, like, evaluations, player to player, team to team, tend tend to have a good amount of variance. And it would work better in basketball. Right. Like there's so, there's actually a, a like a market difference. Between. So if it's not just for the World Series, and what if we do it for all of October, where all of the teams that didn't make the playoffs play in their own tournament mm. for the first right. overall so, pick? So we so could have a consolation round, right? You could have like the, the a losers bracket, capital L losers bracket, bunch of losers. You're playing for the first overall pick, losers, and that at least makes tanking less beneficial. We have a race. We basically have a, instead of trying to, to, to fix it through collective bargaining, we just set up a fun, entertaining little October tournament where we get to watch some of the worst teams in baseball go at it <laughs> on off days. So if you think that you... You could, be like the, you could be like the 14th worst team in baseball and get the first pick. Well, I was just about to say, so does that incentivize those middle-of-the-road teams to... Miss the playoffs. Miss the playoffs. <laughs> Glad you asked. I think those teams don't really care about making the playoffs already. Like, <laughs> it already I think it doesn't matter. really matter. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm open to workshopping it, mm-hmm. but I think that the scaffolding of the idea is there. Honestly, so does this mean that the field for the losers bracket is going to be bigger than the than the winners bracket? Yeah, probably. But or or we could do it like ten teams. Like it could only be the ten worst teams. Like it doesn't. You could. There could be a little happy medium there, <laughs> where you don't make it into either tournament, and you still have to go to Cancun. <laughs> For the teams that don't make either, we just make them walk through the streets of their respective cities, and we shame them. Shame, <laughs> shame, shame. <laughs> It's not even biased for me to say that because for a long time that would have been the Mets yeah. cruising in at mm-hmm. 79 wins. Yep. I mean, that's kind of the A's MO. <laughs> the, the, the poor angels. <laughs> Mike Trout having to walk through the streets of Anaheim where there are no sidewalks. I mean, the good thing is... Just booed from other people driving in their cars. The good thing is that he wouldn't be recognized anyway, right? <laughs> Supposedly. Do you have any other thoughts on game two or, or even more broadly kind of how the series has played out so far? Um. No, I mean, I'm, I was obviously surprised that the Astros blew game one. Um, but I think outside of those couple Verlander innings, everyone has performed more or less how I expected them to. You know, we haven't gotten like the Jordan game where he just blows it up. Um, but man, the Astros, speaking of flexing your strengths early, their bullpen is... <laughs> <laughs> Puts the 2014 and 15 Royals bullpen to shame, honestly, yeah. which is saying something because mm-hmm. that team literally rode that bullpen to two straight World Series and won one of them. Yeah. So, I mean, they are just an impressive collection of guys. Dudes, you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot to play this question earlier when we were talking um, about about Fromber, but this, this is a voicemail that we got earlier today um, about sort of the idea of, of cheating in baseball. 
Hi, Bobby and Alex. Um, this is Jesse. My World Series question is, are we ever going to get through a postseason without accusations and or attempts at cheating? Um, does it fucking matter? And does anybody know the rules of baseball? Because at this point, it seems a little unclear. Okay. Thanks. Bye. So obviously we hit on a lot of these things already in our conversation, but I do think the last part of that question is interesting. Does anybody actually know the rules of baseball? Because baseball does feel sort of uniquely uh, situated to allow people to theorize about their conspiracies because there's like so much downtime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I feel like you're watching hockey you you watch like playoff hockey for example and you're just like even if someone was cheating i don't even have time to think about how right. <laughs> it's like we're just on to the next thing but baseball like for fans who don't know what they're talking about mm-hmm. they have like multiple minutes between pitches sometimes to just wax poetic about their <laughs> dumb thoughts about what is going on yeah and i honestly uh, I I do kind of think that that's part of it, like that there's so much downtime and there's so much there's so much that is unknowable about baseball, about what why it happens. There's so much randomness that it just like it just almost begs the mind to think in this way. And so, to, I mean, to answer Jesse's question, we already kind of did, but I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to get another postseason where it's not like this. You know, Field of Dreams was made in the 1980s, and it was about the 1919 Black Sox. So, like, we were still thinking about things 70 years later. Cheating scandals 70 years later. So, you know, maybe we're going to get a Kevin Costner's grandson starring in a Jose Altuve image rehabilitation film. Right, Field of Cans. (laughs) Field of Cans. (laughs) I have to workshop the title. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it a little bit. You're, I mean, I think you're right because baseball, almost more than any other sport, is so. It's very like navel gazy, you yes. know, in its like obsession with integrity and playing the game the right way and like the purity of the sport. And so those moments really do have an outsized kind of impact on how we view the game, broadly speaking. Right. It also happens to be one of the sports who has more rules than normal mm-hmm. that are just kind of left up to interpretation. Yeah. Right. Like the idea yeah, of a the swing. Check swing is just unbelievable. It's just like, it, it's like you feel it in your gut. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, like you're, it's like you're, <laughs> your parents trying to explain to you how you're going to know you're in love. <laughs> I also, I, if you look at the swing, and something in your stomach kind of bubbles up a little bit. It's a swing. <laughs> I have to. I really have to appreciate how broadcasts um, never really give you an angle that actually no. definitively shows. Like they have cameras all over, and then they'll show you one where, like, it's not even directly perpendicular to home plate. It's like kind of back a little bit, so everything looks like a swing. Or, or it's, and it's always like the pitcher in the booth always thinks it's a swing and the hitter in the booth is always like definitely a check right (laughs) a fantastic job the the forearm strength to check that swing there and it's like keith is always saying that and ron is always like ron uh, keith that's a swing (laughs) and then gary's just like and he delivers the three one (laughs) i mean yeah it's it's just ridiculous baseball here's what i here's my theory my working theory on why 
people just can't let shit go in baseball. <laughs> the idea of cheating and integrity. Um, it's already so hard. It's just already so hard to succeed, even if you were playing fair, that it just seems like overkill. It just seems like bad natured to cheat beyond that. And I think that people, even if they don't know that they share that, that they have that opinion, I think that's part of what informs this. Like you're telling me that I'm supposed to hit 98 with movement and I have to hit 98 with movement with unnatural spin. Like that just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair. And so there's this feeling of impossibility to beating a team that is cheating because it already feels impossible to do anything in baseball. It feels yeah. impossible to get a hit to begin with. Right. So, and so like for the Astros, when they cheated in 2017, this lineup was so damn good. And I think what people were so offended by was that it wasn't like they were just a mediocre team in the regular season squeezing five extra wins out of it and missing the playoffs. It was like they were also the best team and also cheating or also one of the two best teams and cheating. And so it's like, at that point, it's like, we don't stand a chance. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Like there's no, there's no way we could win this. And so, I mean, I think, that's what it felt like in game three against Joe Musgrove too. Cause I was like, he's already a great pitcher. He's the exact kind of pitcher that the Mets have a really hard time hitting against. And so if he was also cheating and his spin rate was up, like then I'm just like, all right, I just guess I'll just go fuck myself then. And I think that's how a lot of fans honestly think that they're approaching this, but it just feels like off the rails a little bit. It just does. We've lost control of the narrative. Yeah. I mean, we're missing the, the forest for the trees yeah. in a sense. And it's just, it's also just not a super enjoyable way to like take in a baseball game. Yeah. Like I, I'm fine suspending disbelief for a little bit and just watching <laughs> dudes do superhuman things. Right. We need to be more like a men's health magazine when they ask actors how they put on 25 pounds of muscle before playing a superhero. Right. The answer is HGH. Like <laughs> people are still reading these, people are still reading these articles, even though the answer is HGH. Like right. how does Fromber rip off a 3,200 RPM curveball? If the answer is spider tech, I don't care. It was still a cool pitch. <laughs> right. You're like, no, Kumail Nanjani probably just worked. Nah, really, he was clean, really bro. He was natty, bro. Come on. Come on. Don't slander Kumail. Yeah. Don't yeah. slander Kumail, bro. He was, he's like the most obvious example of steroids, right? <laughs> No, dude. No? The most obvious obvious example of steroids. Take this to the grave. Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You cannot look like that at that age. It's just not possible. I'm just telling you the truth. Like, you can still enjoy the performance. You can still enjoy him taking off his shirt on the roof. You can still ogle. And you can still raise your expectations for what the human male body can look like. But you just have to stop lying to yourself and stop acting like he didn't take HGH for that. Yeah, it's fine. Normalize HGH. <laughs> you know what? No. <laughs> you know what? Actually, for him to have that face and take HGH. Yeah, it's not really fair. Yeah. You know what? It feels like Garrett Cole using spider tack a little bit. <laughs> like you throw 99. <laughs> this pod is deranged. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do a very, very quick analysis of Rob Manfred's media day. Listen. Do you want to know a secret? All right, Alex, two things from Rob Manfred's Media Day that I wanted to talk about. The first thing is uh, he claims that the zombie runner (laughs) is (laughs) well-liked. Let me read you the quote. Rob Manfred tells Mad Dog Unleashed. This is a Bob Nightingale tweet, by the way. I'm reading you. We're 80 minutes in. I'm reading you Bob Nightingale tweets. Rob Manfred tells Mad Dog Unleashed the ghost runner. It's not a ghost runner. It's a zombie runner. Mm -hmm. 
the extra inning rule will likely stay. Quote, the clubs like it, the players like it. I believe that. I think players would like to go home faster. Mm -hmm. I think teams would like to go home faster. Especially during the innings that they're not still selling beer and ripping people off. Continuing the quote here. And I think overall the fans like it. I think it does bring sort of a focus to the end of the baseball game in a way that has been positively received. Dog, what a, what echo chamber is Rob Man for living in? Yeah. Come down from your ivory tower on Fifth Avenue, Rob. Yeah, burst Come talk to some bro. real fans, brother. Nobody likes this. None yeah. of the fans like it. No, we need a New it's York corny. Times excursion to a diner in the Midwest. Right, to talk about the zombie runner. Yeah. I'm not even bullshit. I honestly. Someone take up this mantle and do it. Even if it's not the New York Times, it's the Wall Street Journal, Lindsay Adler, you got to do it. Mm -hmm. You just have to mm -hmm. do it. You just have to fly to Iowa and you have to ask 20 people that you see there their thoughts on Rob Manfred and the zombie runner. Right, exactly. I We're mean, that's what I'm away thinking about at the midterms this <laughs> November. <laughs> okay, the second thing is more... Um, how do we say this? Tailored to your interests? Commissioner Rob Manfred tells at Mad Dog Unleashed that he's no longer optimistic the hashtag A's will remain in Oakland. I love when you, they hashtag the team names. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, so it was, Somebody, it was a hashtag, not a t tag. Yes. Okay. It was a hashtag. Some reporters hashtag the team names because mm -hmm. they think that it makes it more searchable. Right. They're like working on Twitter 1.0. <laughs> right. It, Marlins shows up whether you hashtag it or not <laughs> when you search it. Uh, he's no longer optimistic that the A's will remain in Oakland quote it just doesn't look like it's going to happen and likely will move to Las Vegas he believes the Rays will stay put with a new ballpark in Tampa um, scale of 1 to 10 how much stock do you put in that I mean I suppose I put as much stock into it as everything else he's said over the last 3 or 4 years so but at the same time, I feel like... Which is to say no stock, which right? Is, which is to say no stock or very little right. stock. And at the same time, it also feels like... At the same time, it also feels like this is kind of what we were headed towards. You know, like him saying he's no longer optimistic about the A's staying in Oakland suggests that there was a point where he was optimistic about the A's staying in Oakland. And I think that... Like, there's no evidence of that. There's no ev evidence of that. And, and on, you know... On the part of him and John Fisher, I think they were looking for an exit strategy. Yeah. So I suppose in a sense, maybe I put a little more stock into this because at least he's being candid about it. Like there's no real reason that he would try and keep expectations low, you know, only to come in at the 11th hour and, and save keep, it and like save it. Unless he's trying to make himself kind of look like the savior where you set that up and say the A's are leaving. I just think that he's just trying to use his bully pulpit. Like, to me, I read this as, like, he's trying to manufacture panic in Oakland because chaos is a ladder or whatever. And they can get a, squeeze a few more million dollars out of the Oakland City Council if there's a true real perception that Rob Manfred is telling people that he doesn't think it's going to happen. And I, I mean, I think that these two sides are just playing chicken with each other and both of them are have their eyes closed. Yeah, but like, uh, who's actually buying into it at this point is my question, right? Because they've been doing this. No one is ever years. buying into anything he's saying. I think he just thinks that he's better at manipulating the media than he is. I guess, but I do think there was a period of time, you know, in the last year or two when people were kind of, you know, there were 
there were gears that were turning in the Oakland City Council, right? And yeah. you had Dave Cavill coming out and making bold, brash statements. You know, whatever. I haven't thought about that man in months. And <laughs> that was I'm a gonna, dope pod when we just made was, fun of Dave Cavill for an hour. <laughs> it was a sick pod. But like, I think there was a period of time when fans, A's fans specifically, were a little bit tuned in, or at least were like, "Here's another piece of evidence that I can use to uphold my." side of the argument of whether the A's should stay or not. And it does feel like we've kind of passed we're past that point at, you know, now where Rob Manfred can really sway public opinion any one way. Like I think most A's fans at this point are like <laughs> okay. Just make whatever. a decision. Just make a decision. One like, way I, don't, or the other. I don't actually care. Like it's literally, stop playing games. It's like he's standing behind you, just knife ready to stab you in the back, but he's he's like just narrating it. He's like the knife's getting closer. I'm gonna no, I'm I'm really gonna stab you this time. It's it's coming. Here it comes. Get right. ready for the knife. <laughs> I'm no longer optimistic that I'm not gonna stab you. <laughs> like that's what this whole so this whole saga feels like. That is a that is a metaphor. <laughs> Just pointing that out. This is all parody. <laughs> Nothing that we said on this podcast is true or real or our real opinions. It's all for the sake in the service of comedy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to the knife. <laughs> I still think they're going to stay in Oakland. I'm just choosing to believe that. I like. I don't really know. I like. Why move a team out of a market that likes baseball right before you're thinking of maybe expanding? Because then you've then you've both right. taken away the new location and also made it make no sense for the old location at the same time. Right. You've, to me, it's just much easier than you're knocking off two locations out of your potential expansion teams whether that happens five or 10 or 12 years from now or whatever. Right. You've spent a ton of political capital in Oakland. You've spent a lot of real capital, right? You've spent millions of dollars putting together those renderings are not going to (laughs) fucking draw themselves. They actually aren't (laughs) like, you know, they went to one of the top architectures GDP for fucking renderings. And that's all they have. Yes. Like that's, that is, (laughs) that is major league baseball. (laughs) They don't actually make products. (laughs) And they've spent like a lot of Manfred's political capital, I think, as well. Right. Like, I don't think anyone would really be able to take five more years of his posturing over the same issue. Like, we're kind of reaching the end point on that. But honestly, at this point, yeah. At this point, I don't care. I'm like, stab me or don't. (laughs) If touching your jacket, you can't feel it yet, but it is touching the jacket. (laughs) (laughs) He's like tickling you a little bit on the side. He's like, which side of it is it? Which side of your back is it on? Is no, you the, can't even Is this tell. the dull knife or the or the, is this the dull side or the sharp side? Which hand am I holding the knife with? You can't even tell. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I want to walk backwards into it. That's all. <laughs> Jeez, you like take the knife and stab yourself with it. Uh, okay, that does it for this week's episode of Tipping Pitches. Thank you to the Alex Rodriguez VIP Club tier. Special shout out to all of you. We will name five people at the end of this pod like we do every week, except last week when I forgot to write those names down. Those five people this week are Kyle Shocker, Mike, RC, and Alexis. Speaking of the Patreon and speaking of the World Series, we will be doing a watch along for Game 5 of the World Series live on playback. We've done this now two times. Last time we did it was actually a Blue Jays-Phillies game in which the Blue Jays won a downright ridiculous game. Just an absurd game. So hopefully... I, we should have known what was coming with this World Series. <laughs> Honestly, should have. <laughs> um, so hopefully we get something equally as entertaining. Uh, if you're a patron, look out for that link 
in your inbox or in a Patreon post or in Slack. Uh, if you're not a patron, we're also going to open it up to everybody because it's the World Series. So we'll be tweeting out that link um, probably like 20 minutes before Game 5 on Wednesday night. Uh, any other things to mention for folks, Alex? We also, a couple months ago, asked, asked our, our patrons to make their voices heard on what they'd like to see in new Tipping Pitches merch. Yeah. And, uh, and y'all responded. And we heard you. And uh, we want to make that a reality. So keep an eye out in the next week or two. Days turn to weeks. Days turn to weeks. Turn, turn to months. To months. Years. I feel confident that these shirts will be available within the next year. <laughs> I feel confident that you will be able to buy these shirts before the Mets win the World Series. That I can say with 100% certainty. Yes. They may even be here before the World Series ends. Although I... I Don't I, hold your breath on I wouldn't bet on it. I also feel confident that they will be here before the Phillies win the World Series. Because that's not happening this year. <laughs> if that's everything. I, we didn't even mention, mention Taylor this week. Which I think is probably, probably good. I think we kind of exhausted that. Yeah, we Last played that. Week. We played that card for the year. Yeah, I'm I'm wearing my Taylor shirt right now right. to kind of supplement that lack of dialogue. Mm. Silent protest, exactly, <laughs> against the people who didn't want us to talk about Taylor Swift <laughs> on the pod. It's fine. It'll be back eventually, just like this podcast. Tipping pitches will be back eventually. Yes, uh, next podcast whenever the World Series uh, ends. <laughs> so whenever that is, <laughs> we don't know what day. Because uh, it seems like these teams, however improbably, are evenly matched. So we'll see you then. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping the pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!